0: Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Afterlife Awareness Conference. The Afterlife Conference will be virtual again this year in 2021, and we hope you'll join us online June 24th through the 27th. As we have done for the last 11 years, we unite the disciplines in exploring the survival of consciousness after death, offering wisdom from hospice professionals, physicians, mediums, shamans scholars and counselors who share a deep understanding of death and beyond this year we are honored to have dr robert thurman a worldwide authority on indo-tibetan buddhism as our keynote speaker he'll be teaching us how to die like a tibetan buddhist and is also offering a workshop on buddhist cosmology We are also proud to feature returning scholar Dr. Ken Doka, senior consultant to the Hospice Foundation of America, who will talk about the mystical experiences of the dying, and Dr. Jeff Black, a psychiatrist who is also a shamanic practitioner who works with ritual practices for death and bereavement. In addition, we have general sessions addressing everything from music phantology and death doula work to ancestral healing practices and grief support and there are continuing education credits available for licensed professionals visit our website at afterlifeconference.com for all the details we look forward to seeing you there hi and thanks for tuning in to the path 11 podcast i am your host april hannah At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. My guest today is Dr. Brent Satterfield. He invented DNA testing technologies that have impacted millions of people in more than 50 countries, including the COVID-19 pandemic. Following multiple experiences with heaven, he became a student of consciousness, faith, and experiences of God in cultures around the world. Brent is a two time author of spiritual nonfiction. His first book, Faith to Produce Miracles, was released in March of 2018. And his newest release, let me grab it, for those of you who are watching on Path 11 TV, I'll get to show you the cover. It's called Bringing Heaven Home. And that is what we are going to talk about today. And uh, for those of you who are listening, I'd just like to remind you that you can watch the video recording of this podcast on path11tv.com for free. And of course, if you'd like to sign up with a membership, you will have have all of this wonderful material of over 100 hours um, just educating you about what happens with consciousness, the afterlife, is there life after death, and all that good stuff. And my guest today actually has had multiple experiences with God. So, I'm going to let you tell him a little bit about. I'm going to let him tell you guys what those experiences are. And I have some questions for him as I was reading his book. But these aren't necessarily near death experiences. And so I want him to explain that as well. So, welcome, Brent, to the Path 11 podcast.
1: Thank you very much, April.
0: Yeah. So where do we begin here? Um, Maybe you can give our listeners a little bit of background of where you were in your life before you had one of your first experiences.
1: Sure. So I grew up in the South uh, in a kind of a Christian background. And I had a, a strong spiritual leaning or, or religious type leaning. I spent two years on a volunteer mission in Brazil. Um, I received a PhD in a scientific field where I went on to develop technologies to impact the developing world. I always had an interest in helping people in the poor areas of the world. And, um, so that's kind of how the first roughly 40 years of my life passed. And, Leading up to uh, the, the first experiences that are in this book.
0: Okay. All right. So let's get into it now. I have to, I've got a lot of bookmarks here. <laughs> so my first bookmark actually comes more in um, chapter six, which was actually your, it's called the second experience physics of heaven. But what I underlined was interesting because you were talking about um since you've had kind of all of experiences of obedience in the past, like I know that part of what you were saying was like, you kind of had to get to this depth of kind of being bad or like, you know, surrendering in a sense to get God's attention and you got God's attention in the first experience, but then there was kind of this belief or thinking, okay, well, how do I get his attention again? And how do I get him to come to me? But what I really loved was how, you said, um, perhaps all that was lacking was intent, or even just allowance in trying to connect with God. So I've talked a lot with people about intent and consciousness and how intent moves consciousness, and learning more about this state of allowance or state of grace that we'll talk about a little bit later, that's also in your book. So can you explain a little bit maybe about your first and second experience and how you came to learn that maybe it was just more about intent in connecting with God and feeling God's presence.
1: Certainly. Um, So I I think the way that people relate to God or a divine being, uh, it it has a lot to do with their upbringing and not just religiously, but in our own homes, like with our families, you know, what kind of uh, things do we have to do to get parental attention? And at the time, you know, I I wasn't aware enough in my connection with God to realize how much I was projecting my childhood experience onto my experience with the divine. But um, those thoughts of, uh, you know, I'm never good enough to measure up and I have to be perfect in order to get dad's attention, those same thoughts then are applying with with God, I've, I've, I've got to be perfect to get God's attention, and I'm part of a religion that kind of reinforces that thought. And so, uh, the first two experiences there was very much this sense of if I live my life perfectly and I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm, I'm doing everything possible, then maybe I can be lucky enough to get to capture his attention to have an experience. And so, there was a shift. In my own understanding, as I had more experiences with God to realize that, um, whereas at the first, I almost kind of thought that it was my actions. It was the things that I was doing that was allowing me to have those experiences. As time went on, it felt more like, no, this this had nothing to do with my actions. It had nothing to do with all the emotion that I held pent up trying to to capture his attention. But more of, um, it's like a, a surrender to a life path. That each of us are here to have certain understandings, certain experiences, learn certain things, and that what is in our heart will ultimately manifest. And so if what's in our heart is to have these types of experiences, it's going to unfold. And it it isn't something that we have to earn. In fact, it's almost at the point where we let go of the earning it, that it does seem to open up, that 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 becomes possible for us.
0: Yeah. So, um, I know that some of your experiences and the things that you've learned from your experiences with God are very similar in, in line to people who have had near the death experiences and come back to tell about it. Like many of them, like you've also said in your book was like, okay, everything that I was taught about religion and these rules and how God judges is like the complete opposite of what I experienced. So, um, you know, pretty awesome that you didn't need to die practically four times in order to have your experience with God. Um, But why don't let's uh, give our viewers just a little taste of your very first experience. If you can go into detail about how this started and what you experienced and how it happened, and then we'll kind of move into other areas.
1: Sure. So much of my life, I mean, from the time that I was a teenager on, I just, I felt a connection with heaven and there was always this sense of i I felt very much that having experiences with God was not something that that we just read about or hear about, but that it was possible for each one of us, and that if I lived my life in a certain way that that at some point it would open up. And so, you know twenty years later, I uh, ran into a woman who had had four near-death experiences, the first one in a plane crash, and the subsequent ones that happened as as due to complications from that plane crash or the injury she, that she had in the plane crash. And each one of those, she had seen God. And when she came back from these experiences, she came back changed. She was different. And she had the gift to help people cross over to have their own, if if, for lack of a better word, near-death experience without having to die to get there. And I didn't know who she was when she initially reached out. <clears throat> she just told me that she had been told that she was to work with me, that she was to help me have this experience. And I, I was such a spiritual seeker that I, I didn't question it. It just seemed like confirmation of, wow, you know, that this woman who had these near-death experiences wants to help me have one. Um, and in that first experience, I went to her home one day, and there was this energy that came over me where it was strong enough that I, I could almost see... Um, what was about to happen. I, I could see myself placing my hand on her heart and it f- felt like I had a piece of her heart that I was supposed to give back to her. And, you know, I, I didn't have any real understanding for what that meant, but it was such a strong feeling. I started to do it. I moved my hand to put it on her chest and then stopped and thought, wow, this, this might not be appropriate. And um, <laughs> But she had seen me start to move and she grabbed my hand and put it squarely over her heart and said, you know, that's exactly where Jesus puts his hand. And as soon as she did that and my hand touched her, um, I felt this, this electric energy all throughout my body. It was like a pins and needles feeling, except it was um, not uncomfortable. It was like, um, if you could call it a divine electricity, it just felt kind of like a, a fire almost in my whole body and where the body started going numb. I couldn't feel the the boundaries between myself and the world around me anymore. And I could hear her thoughts, which all of this was new to me. And it was a little startling. And I asked her, "Is like, what does this mean? What's happening? And she says, well, that's the feeling that that I got each time that I crossed over. So she's saying, this is a feeling that that happens right before the near-death experience, right before you cross over. And she told me to lay down and then Used her gifts to help push me the rest of the way over, um, and from that point, the the experience opened up. Where uh, for me, um, I found myself going really deep into um, an understanding, like like going into almost the molecules in my body themselves, going down into the atoms, and then into the space in between the atoms, and then seeing this energy that was filling up just everything, filling up the whole world and a with it was this intense understanding that, um, of, of how my body was arising and how my body was showing up that, that, um, I had been holding, um, a lot of, a lot of shame around my body. Um, and, and I, I don't know if that's the, if it's the right word for it, but, but, resentment, like, like, we're almost wanting ourselves to perform in ways that our bodies weren't made to perform. And we're trying to push ourselves mentally, emotionally to have experiences. And I was seeing that, that this was, it was not the most loving way to treat my body, that, that everything that was in my life, everything physically was showing up exactly the way that the way that I wanted uh, on a divine level. Like if we could get outside of our our minds, outside of our conscious self in this world and step into into who or what it was before we came here, that my body was showing up exactly in accordance with what I was asking it to do. Um, That included the physical aspects, it included the emotional aspects, the mental aspects, that all of those different pieces were responding in perfect obedience. And the question was posed to me, why do you hate it? Why do you hate this configuration that is, that is obeying you with exactness? Shouldn't you instead be loving it? And there was this understanding that, wow, all of the self-hatred that we put toward ourselves, it shuts down the flow of light and energy in the way that it's supposed to go Um, And instead of bringing healing into our inner spaces, it just, it prolongs the very thing that, that we're suffering with. And that instead that I needed to open my heart and allow love to flow. So that's kind of how the experience started. Um, From there, I had a series of memories come back before this life uh, with God and with Jesus. And then I had um, some encounters with angelic beings and, it continued to unfold from there and that first experience.
0: Yeah. That first experience was fun to read because I kind of felt like I was like transporting myself into your body and like seeing this woman and, you know, the way you described it was like your hand going up to her heart. And, and the shocking thing was when you said uh, you felt like she was just looking into your soul through the eyes and that she had actually confirmed that, like, I know, I know I'll be able to work with you because I can see into the soul of people's eyes. And if I'm supposed to work with them and she stood there and stared at you, right. for like, a little bit. She's like, oh yes, I am supposed to help you cross over. And at first, when I first read it, I was like, oh my God, she's going to make him cross over. Like, is he really going to have a near death experience? But then you went on to explain, like you just did today, that it was to experience that feeling, like to cross you over into this this uh, place, I guess you could say, of that feeling uh, without having to actually cross over.
1: So yeah, the way she explained it to me is that in a near-death experience there's a part of the mind that dies yes it's... okay i
0: have this highlighted yes <laughs> this was the other thing that was like fascinating to me hold on yes i have it where um there's a part of the brain that dies which is like the part that allows us to be able to remember is that what it okay here it is i got it page 45 <laughs> um She said, yes, I'm supposed to help you cross over. You're supposed to return every week for the next several weeks while I teach you to relax the part of the mind that keeps us separated from the knowledge of God. That's the part that dies in near-death experience. So you and I are, we're in sync because I wanted to talk about this. So yes, let's go. Tell me what Mm -hmm. is that part that dies in the near-death experience in the brain?
1: I would love to say I'm that kind of a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so I don't I don't know what anatomically is that part of the the brain. Uh, And that was her explanation to me is that there is a part that dies, but that we don't have to die to have the experience of a near death experience, that that part of the brain just has to be inactivated, put to sleep. It just has to be silenced for a moment and then in that silence it it creates the possibility to have an experience that's is larger than life uh, because we're we're talking about experientially um, emotions that they don't they don't fit inside of the emotions that we've been taught about the emotions that we've experienced in this life they're uh, even our best emotions you know if you were to take um, feelings of love when you're connected with a partner um, they're they're just, they're small relative to the types of, of experiences that happen when you're not bounded by the physical body and by the mind. And the, just cause it seems like almost no matter how much love that you get from a partner a family member or friend, it's never enough. It never fills, but to, to go into this other space, all of a sudden there is a wholeness. It's an overflowing. There's an abundance. It's, um, it's like a, a waterfall of love, a, a, a supernova of love, love of something to the effect where it's just, it feels like an explosion in the center of the being that is just radiating outward. And with every wave, every pulse, every movement, it just, um, it's delicious. It is beautiful to the point of ongoing, continuous weeping from the joy, the beauty, um, the wonder of being in that space. And so uh, it is possible (laughs) to reach that state, to, to move into it and to bring intention to it. To suggest to the universe that this is an experience that that we're wanting, desiring, and to let go and to allow it to unfold. I, I believe it's possible for not just one or two people, not just people who happen to die and go to the other side. I really believe that it, it is an experience that the world as a whole is moving toward that 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 people all across the earth that we are moving collectively to a state where we experience that not just for a few moments but perpetually
0: Absolutely. And I feel like the feeling that you're describing, um, maybe anyone that's ever went swimming, right? And you hold your nose and you go under the water, right? Like when there's parts of your body that are out from the water, you can feel the water kind of touching those parts. But as soon as you dunk yourself, your whole body is immersed underwater. It's like you are one with the water and you can feel the water all around you and you know that it extends out. Um, that's that's kind of like a metaphor just to explain, because I had a similar experience, like with what you're talking about at a meditation retreat um, it, it kind of gets into a little bit more of some of the points um, that you have here in the book of feeling this unconditional love. And this meditation retreat, I've talked about it on the podcast before, it was with um, a physicist, Tom Campbell is his name, and we were using binaural beat music to go into deep meditative trances. And he was basically teaching us that with our consciousness, we can go anywhere and that you can look at... He would say the past database; those are the words that he uses. You can look at your past database, um, you know, past lives and future lives. And so we had to choose something. So, you know, the thing that I had chose um, was just trying to understand with my parents' divorce, like what would my life have been like if I lived with my dad, you know, instead of my mom, and all of this. And we'll we'll call it God. God showed me how what the probability was of each scenario that happened, and in my My mind, my physical mind, you know, growing up thinking, well, this was like the worst cards that could have been dealt to me, (laughs) you know, like if I had to choose, I would have chose differently. And in this experience, I saw that God chose the absolute most loving um, situation and scenario in order for me to be where I am today. And this love of what I was able to see that God was protecting me from, of what the other scenarios could have been, and the tragedy of how my life would have turned out, was like nothing in comparison to the small tragedy that I felt as a big tragedy that I was living through in, in here and now. And then all of a sudden, I had this understanding, very similar to what you talk about in the book, where I this. Happened in about a 45 minute meditation, but uh, this unconditional love, like you're talking about, completely consumed me. It brought me to tears for like 35 minutes straight. And it was this, this crying that I was having that wasn't sad, but it was just like, it was crying tears of beauty. It was the most beautiful feeling I had ever had. And this understanding and seeing that God was so gentle and so kind and really made sure that I was protected in all the ways of how my life could have happened. Um, So there was this grand gratitude and appreciation that I was feeling as I saw this. And in that moment, similar to kind of what you say in your book was that I had this understanding of how everything worked And the fear completely left me. And it was like, once I saw how things played out and how God also orchestrated, it felt like to me, you know, orchestrated maybe with some of my free will or whatever, I'm not exactly sure that it was like, there was no near, no need to ever have fear again. But the problem is I had that experience like maybe four years ago and when I talk about it and tell the story, I can go back there and I can feel it, but I forget it too, you know? So like I've had moments since that where probably maybe for a full year, I was like, woo, life is great. What's everybody worrying about? Like, it's all good. Like all these experiences that you're having, trust me are way better than what you think. And um, I just was walking around so free, but then slowly as life kind of crept back in, um, you know, sometimes I forget that. So maybe a question that I have for you is through your experiences, how do you hang on to this, to God? How do you hang on to that lack of fear and remembering of what that feels like in that short period of time that like your experience, as you said, could have been like 30 seconds, but it was like this wealth of information and all knowing of how the world works. So give me some tips to get back there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, I think what you're describing is common to all of us. I mean, we, we have the moments on the mountain peak, and then we're back down in the valley, and we're we're trying to remember and hang on to those those beautiful moments. And uh, sometimes it seems like the valley is it feels all the lower by virtue of the fact that we were up on the peak not too long ago, and it's it's that contrast. But I, but I know there's love, and I'm just not feeling it right now. And right now the world's feeling very angry and cold, and um, and so I. I think one of the big experiences, the big lessons that I obtained going through multiple of these experiences was that the goal or the objective, like like initially I thought my my goal was to come through into the space, almost like you're going to a place. Like I, I want to move to Florida or I want to move to Hawaii because I want to be on a beach and, I, and and being on the beach, is, it's going to make me happy. I want to move to heaven because that's that's where I'm going to be happy. And over time, it seemed to me that that maybe my understanding was just a little off that it wasn't like a place that I was trying to reach. I wasn't trying to move up to the top of the mountain, but rather I was trying to bring the top of the mountain into the valleys of life. Um, Trying to that, that um, the goal was to become fully present in life as we know it, to become fully present in all of the messiness Uh, you're talking about the, some of the experiences you had that were just, you thought were maybe not ideal in in your parents' divorce and in what if you'd made different choices, But, but being able to come into all of this messiness that we're experiencing in the present moment and recognize that whatever you're experiencing, whatever thought, whatever emotion, whatever physical circumstance, whether people are being nice to you or mean or whatever, that the only thing that matters in this moment is can you find love for yourself? Can you um, can you find space in in your own heart to open to love, to to come to peace with your circumstances? It's like this recognition that if I was always at war with my life, if my life was never good enough until I could be in that heavenly space, then I would never have peace. I would never have actual, Ongoing unconditional love in my space. And that the solution wasn't to try to get out of my life, to try to get out of the messiness, but it was to flip things on on its head and to recognize the love that is present in every moment. And so, even in the context of all of the things that we suffer on on a near daily basis that we go through, can we feel God in, in those moments? And and can we, and it's it's not even like a, I'm, I'm waiting for him to reach down and touch me, or I'm ready, waiting for some divine force to reach out and touch me. It's, it's more of, can I love myself the way that I've always wanted a parent to love me, a lover to love me, the divine to love me? Can I open my heart and feel this moment with reverence? Because one of the things that I saw was the key difference between the heavenly space and the earthly space. It isn't that you've popped out of your body. It isn't that um, now you're in another, another place. Um, it's that suddenly you have permission to see yourself in a different light, where you see yourself in reverence, in absolute awe. Like you are walking into this person and saying, oh, wow, you are this divine magnificence. And yet you have gone through this life where you have agreed to to blind yourself and forget what you are and suffer through all these things as if you're a... Uh, you know, a terrible person or, or can't quite measure up or, um, can't meet others' expectations and look at everything you've carried and suffered and gone through. And there's this reverence. It opens up to, to change all that we've experienced from something difficult and hard into something magnificent. Like it becomes the foundation of this heavenly experience of, of a overflowing joy and love. And the difference between where we're at and that heavenly state is just a matter of steps, a matter of degrees to take us in one act of self-kindness at a time, to just put your hands on your heart and say, love, what do you most need today? To actually listen. I mean, if you think about it, anybody listening to this podcast right now or or watching the show, um, when was the last time That you actually listened to yourself. We spend so much time wishing a parent or a loved one would listen to us (laughs) the way that we really want to be listened to. When was the last time you listened to you? That you put your hands on your heart and said, what is it that you need? And just loved yourself. Just opened your heart and listened. You don't have to solve your problems, (laughs) but just listen. Be aware. And it's amazing how much that little action can do to make our everyday lives be much more beautiful, to allow healing to take place. And as we heal in our hearts, to allow the world around us to start to heal as well, to have the world around us start to show up something different to us than what has showed up in the past.
0: Yeah, I I can only imagine that just the way that people move in today's world, that if people took a moment and did that just now, I feel like I could hear some of my listeners saying, I need to rest, I need more sleep, I need to slow down, I need more fun. You know, I think those are probably some of the key, the key um, things that I think a lot of people would probably hear back within themselves. Um, Okay. I just want to go get into the book again, because I have a couple of other things that I really wanted to bring up here. Um, And you covered some of them. Yeah. And you covered this, but again, it was, it was very impactful too. It was on page 47 when you're talking, you already kind of talked about the body, you know, and how you know that it's kind of like in this divine harmony, and that your own thoughts of shame or not loving the body was doing more, more harm. And um, one of the things that I highlighted was I saw with some surprise that because of this purpose, the molecules that made up my body were in fact, obeying me perfectly. From that perspective, there was no disease, injury or deficiency at all. All of the imperfections and the things I unconsciously resented about my body were actually showing up exactly the way I I was asking them to on a very deep level. So I wanted to maybe just go into this a little bit deeper, even though you kind of touched upon it already, because I'm sure that we have listeners that maybe are experiencing some sort of chronic disease. You know, sometimes that can happen. It brings people on a spiritual path very quickly. You know, they're looking for answers. But these words were so strong that your body was obeying you. Perfectly, and this um, kind of reminds me a little bit too of things that I've heard with law of attraction. You know, like if if you're thinking these things, then your body will obey, right? Or oh, I'm ugly. Oh, I'm fat. Oh, I'm way too much. Or oh, you know, I just don't like the way that my face looks. Or whatever the case may be, um, that the body's going to obey. So, can you tie that in a little bit to the diseases that maybe? people do have or get or just something that maybe you can speak to that might be able to shift the way people are thinking about their physical body and if this is true that the our bodies are obeying us how do we want to talk to the body and I know that you're saying love and kindness and all of that but what are your thoughts on maybe people who are struggling with disease or an injury and how the body is obeying them just like your body was obeying you
1: so when we're struggling with disease or our loved ones afflicted with disease, we, we tend to look at it as, I mean, it's an awful thing because our lives feel like inhibited. We can't be who we want to be. They can't be what, what we want them to be. Um, and there's, there's a lot of pain in struggling with the difference between what we expected of life versus what actually is showing up and there can be resentment toward the way that our body is functioning toward the way that the world is functioning around us but we're the the act of resentment does not it doesn't help us come to understanding in this moment and i know that this is a little bit backward in fact it's it's completely backward from how we are taught to see things in this world we're we're taught a survival mentality of you know protect the body at all costs, that um life is here for our comfort and for to to make us happy, and that we are entitled to this happiness and so when anything goes wrong in our day, and especially disease or something like that, which really um, creates a huge um, change in direction from what we may have thought our lives should have been. There is this this dissonance between what's happening and what we thought should have happened. And it feels like we're victims. And anytime we go into the victim mindset that everything is happening to us, we are we're getting farther away from our actual reality as divine beings. because just because we have forgotten why we are in this lifetime, Just because we have forgotten why we chose certain paths, including disease, doesn't mean that there was no choice there. And when we come into conflict with it, it it tends to shut our hearts down further where we don't see the wisdom. We can't feel the wisdom. Um, And my personal experience in it is not necessarily like it's my conscious mind that's changing, whether I have disease or don't have disease. It's that, um, what I meant, I think in saying that there is no disease is saying that from a divine perspective, we are here having the experience we came here to have, and we can either be fighting that experience and miserable (laughs) or we can surrender to it and find an experience of incredible peace. There is something in the human mind that says the minute that I get that new house, that new job, that new relationship, my life will be complete. Or the minute that I am healed from this disease, my life will be complete. But the great secret is that we don't need any of those things to be happy in this moment. We don't need any of those things to feel complete, to feel connected to ourselves, the world around us, the people around us. And as long as we continue to perpetuate that cycle of illusion, of of believing that that we are victims, that is our happiness, our joy is connected to something in our world changing, um, we're we're not allowing our hearts to open to receive all of the love that is present in this moment to receive the wisdom that we are receiving in the teaching. It's like this world is conformed in the most loving way possible in order to teach us and help us evolve. Um, so in terms of, of talking to the body uh, we're, we're really discussing a, an, an evolved perspective, not as a victim where everything's happening to you, but as a divine being who made choices before this life. And at some level is still making choices now to undergo certain difficult experiences in order to evolve, in order to grow, in order to learn. And so there is a submission to that process a gratitude. And it's amazing that when we can submit to the process of disease, it loses its power over us. When we can submit to the difficult experience, um, it no longer feels hard. We can start to see the light, the love, in the experience. When we can feel the gratitude, when our heart's open, it's like divine power starts to flow again and can free us from that situation, can actually change the situation. But sometimes, and I've experienced this personally, there are certain hardships that as our hearts open, we no longer want them to change. Because we're in such a state of love and acceptance, we no longer need them to change. And then we see the wisdom and why they're happening. Mm. And we have become more committed to our freedom in a divine sense to the expansion of not only our own hearts, but the hearts of all those around us, that hardship no longer feels like hardship. It feels like love. Mm -hmm. And in that space, we can submit to that whole process, submit to the reorganization of our world. And our prayer changes from, you know, God save me from this disease, save me from this situation to God save me from the thoughts and the emotions that make me think there is disease that make me think there is hardship, and allow me to feel complete freedom, to feel rest, to feel peace, to feel love, and allow me not only to experience that as an individual, but allow us collectively, the human family, to come through this veil together. Allow us to see with one heart and one mind all these beautiful things that have been prepared from before.
0: Yeah. And you also mentioned in your book that when you do your own personal self work, that because we are all one and collectively conscious, like if I heal trauma within me, I heal it for everyone else as well.
1: Absolutely. The mm-hmm. One of the, the big experiences that I had on the other side was being shown the nature of how consciousness is connected. And so you cannot... Do your own work, your own healing without impacting others in your family line, without impacting the whole of the human family. So as more of us embrace this work, and it doesn't take a lot. But as more of us embrace this work and we engage with the present moment, we do our healing. We let go of these, these intense moments. It's, it's like birthing. Um, and any woman who's had a child understands this process. It's intense. And the world is birthing something right now. Human consciousness is birthing something. And it's going to feel intense. And you're part of it's going to feel intense. But as we do this together, as we breathe together, there is something beautiful that is being birthed. And it's much bigger than just solving, you know, our, our personal uh, problems with, with you know, disease and other things. Those are all here to help us birth this thing collectively.
0: Yeah, I've heard other healers that I've worked with, um, always say that what you heal within yourself, you heal seven generations before you, and seven generations after you. I'm like, well, how do you know that? Like, (laughs) who told you that? And why seven? Um, But you know, as I hear you describe what you were shown and how consciousness is so interconnected, you know, and that it can heal not only within you, but the family and others. um, I don't know where they come up with the seven years forward and back, (laughs) but it's still among the same concept of what you're talking about of how you were able to see how, you know, me changing something within myself can have that, that ripple effect out.
1: It absolutely does. And if you'll pay attention in your life, I mean, this is one of these things with manifestation, we, we often call it synchronicity, because there it, it's not a proven connection between the heart and the world. But as you heal in your heart, you will see things in your life change, you'll see people ch- around you change in their relationship to you. And it's a really neat thing to witness how the world changes in response to your own healing.
0: Yeah. Okay. There's one more place. I know we're kind of running out of time here, but <laughs> one that I don't want to miss is um, the ashram in the Hindu ashram. Um, we are at chapter 13, which is one of my favorite numbers, which is also why I jumped to that chapter. And I was like, oh, inter- interesting. So the, the title of this chapter, for those of you who are listening here, Understanding the Grace of Jesus at a Hindu Ashram. So the other thing, too, that I don't think I read in your bio in your bio um, for people to know is that you have also achieved mastery level in matrix energetics, uh, theta healing, Reiki, and other healing modalities. In addition to studying the techniques of Native American, Hindu miracle workers, and Christian street healers. So you tie Hindu um, and New Age understandings into biblical teachings and faiths to produce miracles. That was the other book that you had. So I just kind of want to give them a little bit more of that background that we didn't quite talk about. But this chapter, I absolutely loved. And I love the story with the coconut um, and the Swami Like that was there, that actually you could hear his voice and he was giving you directions. And then you met him in person. You're like, wait a second, that's, the voice that I heard. How could I hear the voice of someone who's alive? God, is it okay that I'm here? And God said, well, I brought you here. So of course it's okay. (laughs) Um, but what really kind of touched me, and I'm sure you can find a way to tell the story, um, you know getting up to where i'd like to reach which was on uh, page 149 because you spent time learning these energy healings and other forms of subconscious work which i i have personally have also done and you had a lot of value tied up in your ability to help others and one of the things that you were learning at this ashram was about grace and allowing grace and you say in your book i could see the subconscious blocks of those around me and would try to intervene and fix them so it's like you know people come to you and they're coming for reiki or they're coming for an energetic healing and as a practitioner you want to do everything you can to help them to get where they want to be and there can very much be like you know a lot of intellect worked into um, some of the energetic work which i have also been trying to just like let go of and just be like Well, you know, what we're trained in is that it's not me, I'm just the tool. So I don't need to do anything, but this divine healing energy that is running through me to my client knows exactly what it needs to do, and I don't need to figure it out. And um, you had said that you would hear the Swami's voice, just allow grace. So I really just kind of sat with that for a long time. And it was a good reminder of, you know, as an energy worker, energy healer, and people come to me and my business for that. Um, I've been learning that more and more over the past couple of years of really just moving my whole self out of the process and just tuning in to that force, to the field, to God's love and allowing it to happen. So can you talk a little bit about this story when you went there and the importance of just allowing grace?
1: Yeah, it was phenomenal to me that the whole idea of great grace, I mean, growing up in a, in a Christian kind of background and then going to a Hindu ashram and feeling like I've never understood it. Like I never got it, but, um, as an energy healer and I, I know that you've any energy healer is probably passed through this phase. There's this sense of, I am an energy healer. So I can help people. I want to love them and I want to fix their problems and I want to make the world a better place. Yes. And the whole idea of Ascension is like, you know, we, we want to purify our stuff so we can make the world a better place. And, and it's so much heaviness resting on our shoulders that if we could just be good enough, just be loving enough, just be pure enough vessels, that those around us could actually be healed and be lifted. And so not only is this an incredibly heavy space to hold in our hearts as healers, um, it is also not the most effective way to heal. Because as long as some sense of ego, some sense of self is saying that we are the ones doing the healing, then in effect, we are sending out into the light that we don't want God to interfere. (laughs) It's like, you stay out of it because I'm the healer. And, And it's kind of ironic because the moment that we can let go of the fight with the other person's disease or what they're going through, the moment that we can let go of being the one that does it, then we create space for divine power to flow. And the catch here is that divine power doesn't always do what our egos want it to do. Right. (laughs) And and that's challenging because we haven't learned to trust what's in our hearts. We haven't learned to trust what is going on in the world around us yet. And it takes a tremendous amount of surrender um, to be present with what is and to allow it to be the most loving outcome, whether it looks like what we think it should look like or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this question though. Um, so I, I, I totally agree with you, right? It's like letting the ego kind of move out and the state of allowance, but then where I get tripped up a little bit is, you know, this whole concept that I am God, I am a part of God and God is actually housed within me. So why sometimes do Do we also say like, okay, we have to move the ego out of the way in order for this divine force to come through. But if I'm really in that state of connection with God, aren't I to the divine force? And are we allowed to say, like, it seems like we're not supposed to say, that like, I am God, and God is coming through me to you. But in essence, when you're really connected with that, and you know that you are of this consciousness of this, of this God of this divine energy, and you're placing your hands on someone. um, Aren't we a part of, we're all a part of that. So I sometimes get tripped up with it, because like, I hear, you know, and have read and understand that concept that, you know, God is within me and I am of this beautiful divine energy and that maybe I don't even with my mind need to say that there's a separation between me and God and God's doing the work. It's not April. So let April move out of the way. But really, in essence, what I feel like I've heard and maybe also what you're saying too is that... Like, I I am a part of this God that has come into this physical body to offer healing to others. But I think you have to be really careful of how you word it so it doesn't seem like it's the ego and, oh, you know, because I also have a mental <laughs> health background and we would probably put somebody in a psychiatric hospital to say, okay, they think they're God, they're having some grandiose thinking right now and some, uh, you know, delusions and now you need to be medicated. So <laughs> how, how do you... Allow and embrace this understanding of this love that you are a part of it and that it is okay for you to give that to others without allowing the ego to come in and be like, oh, well, I'm healing you or I have God in me so I can do this.
1: Yeah. And it, I don't know that it's even really that bad of a thing for the ego to be there. Cause it's, it's not like we're trying to stop the ego or shut it down because to the extent we're doing that, we're just, it's, it's just more ego. It's just ego warring with itself, you know, cause I mean, <laughs> so it, it's there. It's, it's part of what we came into this life to experience. And we just kind of pat it on the head and say, good little ego, you know, th- thank you for noticing that, you know, <laughs> but, but, um, it, it, <laughs> um, so it's not like a, a moral thing or we're, we're trying to earn blessings or create greater power by, by shoving our ego into a box. Um, it's, I think it's more of a process of, of learning to find greater satisfaction and joy as healers. Because to the extent that we're carrying the weight of the world, it's still aging us. It's mm-hmm. still tearing us down. It's still draining our energy if we are carrying the weight of the world to be the healer, to be the one that's fixing it. Instead of recognizing that uh, it is all through grace that the healing is happening. And when we can step out of the way, it takes a weight off of our own hearts. Mm-hmm. And so even outside of just trying to find greater power to heal another person, it's, it's about the healing in our own hearts as we are healers. Um, and to, to relax, to let go, to surrender so that we can connect with what is our true joy. When we are healers out of obligation, we're still not addressing the core hurt in our own hearts that says that we have to fix it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And to be able to let that go allows true healing to take place in us. And as we experience that true healing, we're able to be more present with other people without having to heal them because of obligation, but to actually sit with them and hear what's truly in their divine space. And in that divine space, sometimes they just need to be loved where they're at. They don't need to be changed or fixed or anything else. They just need to be listened to, to be witnessed. And so I I think that's the big benefit that as, as we let go of the obligation to heal and find healing in our own space, we're able to be more of service to those around us without trying to impose what we think needs to happen, but being able to truly listen to what is the most loving response for those individuals.
0: Mm, Beautifully said. Thank you so much. All (laughs) right. We are pretty much out of time here. I kept you over a little bit, but well worth it. So uh, the book, Bringing Heaven Home, uh, where can people find you? Where can people find the book? Um, Let us know.
1: So Bringing Heaven Home is available on Amazon and it's in Kindle form. It's in paperback form. Hopefully in the near future, it'll also be an audiobook. But right now, paperback and Kindle. They can follow me at innerworldmovement.com. We're also on Instagram at innerworldmovement and uh, love to hear from you. So
0: awesome. Well, Dr. Brent Satterfield, it's been wonderful meeting you. Love the book. Thank you so much. Great stories in there. We didn't even touch upon all of them. I still have other earmarked pages in here that we didn't get to, but that's okay um, because it turned out perfectly the way that we needed it to. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. Wish you a lot of luck uh, spreading this beautiful message to the world. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, April.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's podcast. And I'd like to give you a couple of coupon codes before you go. I would first love for you to go to path11tv.com and I'd like you to sign up for your free seven day trial. If you like what we have on there, which I know you will, I would like you to go ahead on checkout and put in the code podcast 30. That's going to give you 30% off of the annual subscription. And uh, the afterlife awareness conference is also giving path 11 podcast listeners $40 off the general admission ticket for the virtual conference this year, you can go to afterlifeconference.com. You can purchase your general admission ticket through Eventbrite and put the code. There's a place in the top left corner, you go ahead and click that coupon code and put in path 40. Again, that's path 40. And that's going to give you $40 off of the general admission ticket. So with the afterlife awareness conference, they are also giving you six months of free replays. So if you cannot make the conference on June 24th through the 27th, that's not a problem. We will give you six months to re-watch that conference at your leisure. So again, two coupon codes, path11tv.com, get 30% off by using podcast30 and afterlifeawarenessconference.com, conference.com. Go ahead and use Path40 to get $40 off your general admission ticket. Thanks everyone. Talk to you soon.